Hi, this is Steve Springer. You are listening to Worshiping God God's Way. We're looking at chapter 10. And the title of this chapter is The Recipe for Worship. You know, the recipe for worship means this to me, and this is why I wrote it, is that it has ingredients. There's a recipe. There's components and there are pieces that we put together when we start to look at worship. And even though the word recipe, it sometimes translates to other people as like a method, a recipe could be a method or a formula that they follow. It could also be a technique that they use. But in this case, worship is not about methods or repetitive motions in any way. Worship is about the deeper things that are found inside of us. And actually, these things do have ingredients and components to them. So when I was looking at what Jesus was saying about worship, I ran across a verse, and it's Matthew 12, verse 30. And Jesus says this, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Fundamentally, these forces apply not only to worship, but to serving God and knowing God and being a person that cares about God and cares about people as well. So you have four things here. You have the heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus puts it together. Sounds like the whole being, the whole human being is what he's talking about. And the first thing is the heart. The definition is really a sincere passion. He's saying a person's heart contains sincere passion. It's not contrived or self-serving. If those pieces are there, then the heart is loses its passion. It loses its sincerity. But if you love God, you want to do it with a full, sincere passion that you have in your heart. Now, the next word he uses is the word soul, and it really translates as the breath within us the Ruach of God that breathes life into our lungs, and we live that way because of that. It's a living breath, so we need to love him with that living breath. And that's a strange one to get your head around because, well, how do I love him with my living breath? Well, you just say, you know, God, you put this air within me. You put this breath within me. This oxygen keeps me alive. And because of that, I love you for that. And it kind of brings you back to the heart thing, because your heart would probably have that in it as well. Your heart is very passionate, and it's passionate because you're alive, and you're breathing because of him. The next word is the mind. Now, the mind's a tricky one. The mind has a lot of things that can go on in it, but in this sense, in this word that he uses, it's actually the pictures that we have in our thoughts. When we have thoughts, they turn into pictures, and in our mind we see it. We don't just think about it, we also see it. That's also problematic for people, especially in the day that we live in. But Paul says something really cool in 2 Corinthians 10.5. He talks about taking your thoughts captive. And there's a reason for that, because not only are we subject to a lot of input, from a lot of places and creates us, brings a lot of problems to us because we have to process it through our minds. Well, during the time of Paul, where he was coming from, they had the same problem, but they had a lot of different gods that they people would bow down and worship before. They had shrines and men and women, and they had a lot of problems that mentally would be the distraction. 
And you'd have to deal with it, especially when you're talking about the knowledge of God, what he's telling people about God and the knowledge that they're receiving. So he says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says this, every proud thing that raises itself against the knowledge of God, we capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. Every proud thing, got to remember that pride is always the issue for most of us. We're proud about something. We have to wrestle with it. But that pride comes against the things, the knowledge, the understanding that we have about God. We're wrestling with that. So Paul says, you know, you have to take those thoughts captive. Now, in the New English translation, it says it like this, and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God. We can take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. You remember the word for worship, the Ugritic word, the very first one that we read? It's the definition of falling down in that sense was to have the arrogance kicked out of you. And I noticed that when I read this translation, arrogance is always an obstacle. It has to be removed. So when we talk about the knowledge of God concerning worship, if we're arrogant about it, that will have to be removed. So that isn't that far off from that Ugritic uh, definition of the word for worship, because definitely arrogance can be an obstacle, especially when it enters our thoughts. And Paul is saying, you know, you have to take it captive. That's up to you to do that. Well, here's the next translation, and this will be the last one. It's in the NIV. Now, the NIV says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, here we have an idea of demolishing arguments. In When we talk about worship with people, when I talk to people about the difference between worship and praise and worship and song leading and all this, and you start getting personal with people sometimes, it turns into an argument. You try to avoid it, but people get a little worked up about it. They feel like they have to defend what they have, and they get pretentious, and they they get very intense, and they, they start to fight against just the knowledge of God. What the God is saying about worship, not me necessarily, because I didn't write any of this. So it's just that they start to wrestle and they get argumentative about it. And I think about that. I think, you know, that's really coming from somewhere in their mind. They're struggling. And Paul would tell them, you need to take that captive. If you want to worship God, you need to take some things captive. You know, you have to capture the flag And hold on to what worship is because your mind's going to struggle. It's going to tell you not to do it. It's going to tell you don't have to do it. It's going to say to you, worship is just everything. Do it any way you want. So you have that issue going on all the time. So if I were to look at these three words, the mind would be the biggest struggle that we have. But the last word is strength. Strength is good. You know, you need that power within you to go and do what you're supposed to do, and but also you need that strength to worship him. Because when it, you see people worshiping, sometimes it's a physical struggle. Some people throw themselves to the ground violently. 
Some people wrestle with it and they just don't have the strength to do it. But we have to love him with all of our strength. So that's a recipe in the sense of those four words apply to worshiping God. And there's other things that you can add to it as well. In a science class, they teach us that an atom has a nucleus and it has electrons. The nucleus is in the center of the atom and it's surrounded by electrons. And these electrons, they, you know, they, they, they circle around, they move around the atom and the number of electrons that are there, it makes up the type of atom that it is. For instance, some will have more, some will have less. And it's a difference, for instance, between water and gas. But it's different things like that. I'm not a big science guy, but I do know that if you take away the nucleus from that atom, there would be no atom. You can take away electrons and it'll turn into something else, but it will still be an atom. Now, I'm saying that in reference to worship. Neo is the nucleus of worship. Bowing down like a dog who comes to lick the master's hand and give him you know, attention and wanting to kiss him like we see Mary doing, that's the definition of bowing before God. It's Persukineo. Now, surrounding Persukineo are these electrons. These electrons are the heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength, the things we just looked at. Those four things circulate and they they curve and bend and they're always around worship. Those are the things we need and it makes it up makes it basically what it is. But if you take out one, let's say you're having a bad day and your heart's not right. You're just struggling. You can go and still bow before the Lord and worship him, even though your heart's a little off. It doesn't change the word itself. It doesn't change worship. You can also take out another word. You could say, you know what? I'm just not feeling it today. I'm kind of weak. I I don't feel like bowing down today. I'm just not strong enough to do it. And then you say, I'll do it anyway. And then you fall down on the ground and you start worshiping. And, you know, the Lord's just looking at you like, that's great. Don't worry about that. It doesn't change what worship is. If you take out the word worship, if you take out the word persukaneo, if you take out the bowing, the nucleus of that word, you don't have a word. If you take out persukaneo, worship disappears. Just like you take out the nucleus of an atom, the atom disappears. So we have to understand that there is a balance and there are pieces to it and how it affects it. We have to look at it like worship is a specific thing that we need to understand. You know, I'm going to just tell you a quick story and then we'll be done with this chapter. It's Second Chronicles verses 1 through 20. Jehoshaphat is facing extinction in this chapter. He's facing complete annihilation. His enemies are all around him. He's about ready to lose everything. They're all going to be slaughtered and taken off into exile. So he gathers Israel together, all the women, all the men, all the children. He puts musicians in the front. They're not playing. They're not involved in the service. They're just there with everybody else. And he comes out in front of everyone, and he says, I'm sorry to say this, but as your king, I've got nothing. I'm at my end. I'm done with everything. And then he just bows down on the floor before the Lord. Every piece of him at that moment is being used, his heart, soul, mind, and his strength. It's all wrapped up at that moment when he bows down and begins to worship God. 
What happens next, there is a musician sitting in the front, and the musician stands to his feet, and he prophesies. He tells everybody, the Lord's voice speaks it out, how the battle's going to go, who's going to win, what's going to happen, and everyone bows down and begins worshiping. Everybody does it. It doesn't say how long they were there, but they were all bowing before him, and when they realize what God was saying, what God was going to do, they get up and they begin to rejoice and to celebrate. At that time, the music starts to play. People start to sing. People start to dance. They start to engage with one another and with the Lord over the future victory, the thing that's coming. Well, this tells me something. First of all, you don't need music to worship. You don't need anyone to be singing. You don't need anyone to be playing or dancing or celebrating. Worship has its own identity. Worship has an identity that is, you just can't replace it with something else. You can't say it's just my heart that's doing this. You can't say it's just my mind. I'm just going to think about it. It's not that. Worship has its own specific expression and its own specific place. We treat worship as if it were a brand. Today, we brand things with the word worship. We're selling things with the word worship. That's not the right thing to do. And if you can correct it, go for it. But you got to understand that is not what it is. Worship's never meant to be a brand. Anybody can bow down. You can bow down right now. But in your heart, it doesn't have to do it. Your body can bow and your heart could be doing something else. Your body can bow down, but your mind, it doesn't have to follow. But when it does, when all these things fall into place, all of heaven sees it. All heaven responds to it. Even God himself comes to defend it. This is the great reason, the coolest thing ever, when you understand worship. God sees it. He identifies with it, and he responds to it. That's enough for me to say, Lord, I'm in. I'll worship you. 